So before I preach, or maybe as I begin to preach, I am going to read a story. And so if you are a child in the congregation of age, or a youth who is not too cool yet for stories, if you want to come forward, I'm going to get a chair, and you can sit right here, and I'm going to read a book. You can come on. So last Sunday, yeah, you can sit right there. Last Sunday, I sat with um, Collier, who was wiggling all over me. And I thought of all of the families who are sitting with children for the whole hour this Advent as we don't have worship care so that we can be all together. And so I thought I would take some time for you this Sunday. And we're going to read from this book. Um, which is called The Legend of the Poinsettia, retold and illustrated by Tommy De Paolo. Lucida lived in a small village high up in the mountains of Mexico with her mama, her papa, and her younger brother and sister, Paco and Lupe. Papa worked in the fields with their burro Pepito, and every morning, Lucida, Lucida fed Pepito, gave him fresh water, and filled his sta- um, stall with clean straw. At home, Lucida helped Mama clean their casita, their little house, and pat out the tortillas for their meals. She took care of Paco and Lupe, and each evening they went to the shrine of the Virgin of Guadalupe near the front gate to see if fresh candles were needed. One day, close to Christmas, La Navidad, Padre Alvarez came to their casita. Ah, Señor Martinez, buenos dias, good day. Padre Alvarez said, I am here to ask you about the blanket which covers the figure of the baby Jesus in the Christmas procession. We have used the same one for so many years. It's almost worn out. Because your weaving is so fine, I have come to ask if you would make a new one. Mi padre, Lucida's mother said, I would be honored, and Lucida will help me. One afternoon, a few days before Christmas Eve, Lucida and the children were singing in the church when Senora Gomez came hurrying in. Lucida, you must come home. Your mama is sick, and your papa has taken her down to the town to see the doctor. You must care for your brother and sister until your papa returns tonight. Lucida was frightened. Mama had never been sick before. That um, when she got home, Paco and Lupe were crying. They were frightened too. Lucida tried to comfort them. She made some food and sat down to wait for papa. That evening, Papa came in looking tired and worried. He drew Lucida close and said, Lucida, mi niña, your mama is ill. Your aunt, Tia Carmen, will take care of mama until she is well, but I must go back and stay with mama until I can bring her home. But it won't be until after Christmas. Senora Gomez will take care of you and Paco and Lupe while I am gone. She will come for you tomorrow. The next afternoon, Lucida overheard two women talking. Lucida's mama is ill. She won't be able to finish the blanket for the procession. Isn't it a shame? See, said the other woman, we are all so disappointed. 
Padre Alvarez will have to use the old worn-out one. When Lucida went home to feed Pepito and get clothes for Paco Lupe and herself, she looked at the unfinished blanket on the loom. Perhaps I can finish it, she thought. But when she sat down and tried to weave, the yarn got tangled. The more she tried to untangle it, the worse it got. It was no use. She could never finish it by herself. She took the unfinished blanket to Senora Gomez. Oh, Lucida, it is so tangled. There isn't time for me to fix it, Senora Gomez told her. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. Lucida started to cry. It was her fault the blanket was ruined. Her family wouldn't have a gift to place at the manger of the baby Jesus. Don't worry, Lucida, we will all go to the procession together. Lucida didn't say anything, but in her heart, she felt like she had ruined Christmas. Come, Paco, come, Lupe. It's time to go to the procession, Senora Gomez called on Christmas Eve. Where is Lucida? She was nowhere to be found. She was hiding. From the shadows, Lucida watched everyone gather for the procession. The candles were lit, the singing began, and the villagers walked to San Gabriel, carrying gifts to place at the manger. Lucida walked along in the darkness and watched the procession go into the church, followed by Padre Alvarez carrying the baby Jesus. Little girl, are you Lucida? An old woman said, uh, standing in the shadows nearby. See, Lucida answered, wondering who she was. I have a message for you. Your mama, she is going to be fine, and your papa will bring her home soon, so you don't have to worry. Go now into the church and celebrate Christmas with the others. Paco and Lupa are waiting for you. I can't, Lucida told her. I don't have a gift for the baby Jesus. And I were weaving a beautiful blanket, but I couldn't finish it. I tried, but I only tangled it up. Ah, Lucida, any gift is beautiful because it is given, the old woman told her. Whatever you give, the baby Jesus will love because it comes from you. But what can I give now, Lucida said, looking around. A patch of tall green weeds uh, grew in a tangle nearby. Lucida rushed over and picked an armful. Do you think these will be all right? Lucida turned to ask the old woman, but she was gone. Lucida walked into the church. It was blazing with candlelight, and the children were singing as she walked quietly down the aisle with a bundle of green weeds in her arms. What is Lucida carrying? A woman whispered. Why is she bringing weeds into the church? Another one murmured. Lucida reached the manger scene. She placed the green weeds around the stable, and then she lowered her head and prayed. A hush fell over the church. Voices began to whisper, look, look at the weeds. Lucida opened her eyes and looked up. Each weed was tipped with a flaming red star. The manger glowed and um, shimmered as if lit by a hundred candles. When everyone went out after the mass, all the clumps of tall green weeds throughout the town were shining with red stars. Lucida's simple gift had indeed become beautiful. Thanks be to God. Thank you all. You can go back to your seat. For some, that may be sermon enough for you. 
It's sermon enough for me, and yet I have a few words prepared, and so if it's helpful, I'll share them. So as a mother of three, I struggle each year with what feel like competing needs at this time of year. The need to complete all of the many tasks of Christmas, and the need to lean into the simplicity and the meaning of the season. I thought this week about another story in Luke where a family is getting ready to receive Jesus, but one person, Martha, can't seem to get out of the kitchen once the party starts. I spend a lot of days leading up to Christmas as our family's Martha, scurrying around to help prepare every one of the magical elements of the season and offer gifts to school teachers and prepare our home to host family on Christmas Eve and help Santa do his work and complete all the other Martha tasks that come with the holidays. But then come moments when I yearn to be Mary, to sit at the feet of Jesus and marvel at God's presence in our midst. Jesus says to Martha in that story, when she eventually emerges from the kitchen, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. For the majority of you, celebrating Christmas requires some work on your part. There are errands to run and tasks to do or food to cook or people to gather or extra advanced therapy sessions to prepare for your family Christmas. (laughs) When labor comes with the season... How do we make sure that we are still able to approach the season with our eyes open, able to look again at the good news? Or are we ever in danger of missing out on the wonder of the Christ child? Can my Martha responsibilities cause me to miss out on my merry moment I wished for? Can preoccupied hearts and distracted minds, burdened shoulders and busy hands leave us unable to receive anything at Christmas? Well, when Christmas is all about what we do for one another, we can tend to hold ourselves back from the manger like Lucida did, for we have not yet finished our work. When Christmas is the mirror that reveals just how different this Christmas is than Christmas years ago, we can hold ourselves back from the manger, for grief might be too much or just change. Perhaps you identify with Lucida's papa as you are tending to a loved one who is ill. Or perhaps you identify with Lucida's mama as your body or mind is failing you. Perhaps you identify with the adult who stepped into care for family. Or you might be Lucida, whether as a child or a grown-up child, who's worried about a parent who isn't well. It is easy to see Why Christmas is most magical for children, for they are well acquainted with what it means to receive. For better or for worse, children are dependent upon the adults around them, a posture of dependency that many forget once we reach adulthood. So I ask, what does your inner child need this Christmas to receive and encounter the good news of Christ's birth as if it is news My inner Martha was given a stern talking to last week when I opened up an Advent devotional to read the day's devotion, and lo and behold, it was written by a professor I had at Duke, Dr. Will Willimon. 
As Willimon tends to do in his preaching and writing and teaching, he comes alongside you with humor and he smoothly and sneakily chides you. He has the gift of calling you out while also making you smile and feel understood at the same moment and think, I am so ridiculous. Calling us out on the scurrying of our days before Christmas, he pointed out that we tend to love Charles Dickens' Christmas story more than we actually love the Christmas story found in Luke. He writes, We prefer to think of ourselves as givers, powerful, competent, self-sufficient, capable people whose goodness motivates us to employ some of our power, competence, and gifts to benefit the less fortunate, which is a direct contradiction to the biblical account of the first Christmas. There we are portrayed not as the givers we wish we were, but as the receivers we are. He writes, Luke and Matthew go to great lengths to demonstrate that we, with our power, generosity, competence, and capabilities, had little to do with God's work in Jesus. God wanted to do something for us so strange, so utterly beyond the bounds of human imagination, so foreign to human projection, that God had to resort to angels, pregnant virgins, and stars in the sky to get it done. We didn't think of it, understand it, or approve it. All we could do at Bethlehem was receive it, a gift from God we hardly even knew. The women that we find in Luke 1 are not who we expect or who we would pick. We have Elizabeth, an older woman, who the world assumed was uh, someone who missed her chance. We have Mary, a younger woman, who the world assumed wasn't ready for her chance. It's as if God is making sure that we do not miss the point, that it is not our might or strength or our social position that God needs to birth love in the world. It's through the overlooked and underestimated people and parts of yourself that God is going to begin the redemption process through. The child in Elizabeth's womb leaps and Mary sings. These mothers know that the good news of God's redemption is news so good that just the beginning of it is enough to rejoice at the fulfillment of it all. We want to rush this process of redemption. We hold God's vision of full redemption against what we see around us, and we cannot help but let our inner Marthas get stuck thinking of all the steps needed to bridge the great distance between what is promised and what is seen. This Advent, I invite you to take some time for your inner Mary. And not just Mary, Martha's sister, but Mary, mother of our Lord, who births a future not her own, and rejoices over the good news without needing full understanding of how it will actually unfold. For you see, she receives the news, and in her song, she sings as if it's already done. For Mary knows that receiving the good news, as if it is already accomplished, is the greatest act of faith that we can offer. The news is that you are not God. The news is that God is God, and you, you are the one to whom and through whom God is coming. To live in a posture of receiving is to be ready with open hands to say, let it be with me. It's to delight in this nature of our relationship with God, that the redemption of the world depends on not your greatness, but on your humility. 
and your willingness to bring forth a future not of your own design. Walter Brueggemann writes, It is in receiving and not grasping, in inheriting and not possessing, in praising and not seizing. It is in knowing that initiative has passed from our hands and we are safer for it. He writes, I am aware that this runs dangerously close to passivity, as trust often does. And it stands at the brink of cheap grace, as grace must always do. But that risk must be run because exiles must always learn that our hope is never generated among us, but is always given to us. And whenever it is given, we are amazed. This Christmas, I encourage you to take some quiet moments where you can receive the gift of Christmas before you give any gift to anyone else. Make sure you have enough time in the quiet so that you notice the stars or hear the angels or see what divine presence is among the straw at your feet. And this enough time doesn't have anything to do with the amount of minutes, but about your attentiveness that can make one minute hold more wonder than a thousand ever could. Remind yourself that the gift of Christmas does not evaporate if you don't have enough time or space or wonder to cherish it properly. This news isn't going anywhere. The gift of Christmas is not location-specific to this sanctuary or to your grandmother's home or your childhood home. The gift of Christmas does not have to be earned by enough thank you notes or by you also having the perfect gift already prepared to give in return. As we come to the end of our designated Advent waiting season, I invite you to open your hands and lay them on your lap to enter into a posture of receiving, for the gift of Christmas is already available on this fourth Sunday of Advent. So if you are in a place where your ears are ready to hear again, and your eyes are willing to look again, and your hands are willing to hold truth again, then it is the greatest honor that I have to place before you the greatest gift you will ever receive. A gift that will never grow old, but will be ever new your whole life long. It's a gift you cannot earn, and it is a gift you cannot lose. This gift was just as real the day you were born as it is today and as it will be the day that you breathe your last. This gift is the good news that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, loves you and is on the way to you to redeem what you thought was lost and to restore what you thought was gone and to resurrect what you feared could never be resurrected. This God who is on God's way to you is the same God equally on the way to your neighbor on the side of the road, to your brother who languishes among the pigs, worried he won't be welcomed home. This God is on the way to the sheep who is lost from the 99 and to your daughter for whom the family has given up hope for a new future. Every time we encounter this news, and lean into it with more depth, we taste it as if it is new, and we find ourselves surprised it's even sweeter than we remembered. This Christmas, before you give any gift, receive the gift. God is on the way to stand and feed the flock, 
so that all shall live secure and at peace, news so good that just the beginning of it is enough to rejoice at the fulfillment of it. As you give gifts this season, may you share this Christmas gift that you have received, a love that did not originate with you, but which God has asked you to deliver this Christmas. For the love of God, we say thanks be to God. Amen. It is our tradition that we sing a hymn to close our service, and we find ways to respond, whether it is to a call to God in our life to follow Jesus or to join this church or whatever it may be for you. Let us stand and sing our faith.